0: Parshas Re'e, Nation of Volunteers. In Pashas Re'e, the Torah tells us about the Ir Hanidachas, a Jewish city whose inhabitants were led astray to worship Avoidazora, Vedarashta, Vichakarta, Visha Altahetev, and after it was investigated thoroughly, Vihine Emes Nochonadovor, Neestha, Hatoeva Hazot, b'kirbecha. And it was determined that it's true, that this terrible abomination has occurred amongst you. Now the city and its inhabitants must be destroyed. You must surely slay all of the inhabitants by the edge of the sword. Everybody, men, women, and children, are put to death. HaKarim Ota, Kol Asherba, annihilate it and everything in it. The property too. You should take all of the wealth of the city and you pile it up in the street ba'ish, and burn it in a fire. The city and all of its booty completely. Now let's imagine that that sentence was carried out. The Am Yisrael, because of its loyalty to Hashem, rose like a lion to fulfill the command of the Torah and wage war against the sinners. And now... All of the inhabitants are dead, and the city and its property is destroyed. The deed is done. Oh, no, it's not. Along comes the Torah and adds something else. V'lo yidbach b'yadcha, There shouldn't cling to your hand any of the forbidden materials. It's a mushal. When you remove your hand from a bowl of clay or dirt, something always remains stuck to your hand. Even if it's just a little bit. Maybe it's not so noticeable, but it's there. And so Hashem says that when you part from the destroyed city, make sure that Lo Yidbak Biyadchal Me'umah, nothing should stick to your hand. Imagine the Iranidachas is a smoking ruin, and you are poking around in the ashes when suddenly you see something shiny lying in the embers. It's a little trinket, or a gold watch, and it never caught fire. It didn't melt. Now, that trinket has nothing to do with idolatry. It's kosher. It has no symbol of idolatry on it. And therefore, you decide that it's appropriate. It certainly has no connection with the subject of destroying the city. So you're thinking, maybe I could keep it for myself. It's nothing after all. No, nothing doing, says the pasuk. Even that little bit shouldn't cling to your hand. And on this, the Torah adds some very important words. Laman, for the sake of that. It means, for the sake of your loyalty to me, that you demonstrate by not touching even the most inconsequential thing. Yashuv Hashem mechadon Only then will Hashem turn back from the fire of his wrath. Now that's difficult to understand. Because we know that to carry out such a sentence upon a Jewish city was an upheaval of the greatest proportions. Do you know how much loyalty to the Torah, how much love for Hashem it took to destroy a Jewish city? It tore their hearts out to put fellow Jews to the sword. The Irani dachas, after all, was a city of people who ate kosher. They all kept Shabbos and taras and Mishpocha. In those days, everybody kept everything. Only that in addition to everything else, the people in that city dabbled in idolatry. An idol was a sign of good luck. If you wanted to have more success in agriculture or in the health of the family, so besides for davening to Hashem, you also worshipped an idol. We see that today too. But they were observant people. They were all from Jews, and therefore the command to kill all the inhabitants of that city was a most painful decree for the Am And so, wasn't it that loyalty, that heroism, the real reason why the wrath of Hashem was turned back? No. The order of the Pasuk is teaching us something here. Nothing should cling to your hand, and only then will the wrath of Hashem turn away. If you want the anger of Hashem to turn away from the Am Yisrael, if you want to once again achieve the favor of Hashem, then you have to go overboard. Haket take lifi charef is not enough. It's only after you fulfill the words. Nothing of the forbidden material should cling to your hand. That's when Hashem is reconciled with us once again. When you come to that madrega that you're so opposed to what had happened in that city, that you won't take anything out of that place, no matter how innocent the object is, then that's a sign that HaKadosh Baruch is being honored by us most fully, that we are showing our greatest loyalty to the principles of the Torah, that shiare mitzvah the little leftovers of the mitzvah, the breadcrumbs that you thought are superfluous, are actually very important. The Am Yisrael is not interested in the minimum, for HaKadosh Baruch we go all out. Now to illustrate this a little bit more, we'll study something from Masech Sukkah. You know that according to the Torah, all that is required in order to fulfill the command of Natilas lulav is to take the four species in your hand. There's nothing else that you have to do. In a flash, the mitzvah is completed. The truth is that if mitzvahs ain't seriches kavana, if the deen is that you don't need to have intention for the mitzvah, so even if you picked up the lulav and other minim with the intention of hurling it at somebody, you're yoytzer already. That's why we customarily pick up the esrog upside down, because if you would take it right side up, you're finished with the mitzvah, and you didn't even make the bracha yet. So we take it shalok kederech gedulosah, That way, we shouldn't fulfill the mitzvah yet. Then you make the bracha, and afterwards, you turn it right side up. So we see that all that the mitzvah requires is that you should take the Daleg Minim in your hand. But among the Jewish people, that's not enough. We don't put it down, we hold it in our hands and we make nanuim in all four directions, and up and down. We're making a demonstration that our Kadosh Baruch Hu reigns supreme Everywhere, he's in the north, the south, east, west, above, and below. North means he's in the North Pole. In case you happen to be stranded in the North Pole, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there with you. If you're taking a trip to the South Pole, you'll find him there too. If you go east to China, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there right with you. If you try to run away to Hollywood, California, he's there too. Wherever you go, you'll find our kol male. If you go up in a spaceship or mata, all the way down, wherever you go, he's there. And so the Amisrul doesn't only pick up the dalad minim and fulfill the mitzvah; we wave it in six directions as well. Now, suppose a person would be m'kayim the mitzvah of Nitilas lulov, and he wouldn't want to make naanuim. So he says he's not interested, or he's too busy. So the din wouldn't force him to do it. We have to force him to do the mitzvah of Natilus Lulav. But we won't force him to make Na'nuim. Because it's extra. It's sh- Shi'are mitzvah. But the Gemara comes along and tells us something that we wouldn't have known ourselves. Do you know how great is the seemingly insignificant act of Na'nuim? Shi'are mitzvah. Ma'akvin es ha'poranius. The remnants of the mitzvah hold back destruction. It means that adding Nanuim to the mitzvah will protect you from many troubles that come upon mankind. When we shake the lulav to the four corners of the compass that restrains unfavorable winds that might come from the four directions and ruin the crops, we shake it upwards. Sometimes there might be hail that might kill the crops or sometimes there might be an overabundance of rain. And we shake it down below so that the earth should be blessed with fertility. The Gemara says that by making Na'anuim, we're being protected against illnesses, against plagues, against invasions, against earthquakes, all types of terrible things that can happen to the whole populace. Who knows what can happen, chas v'sholem? And all of that, charon af, all of the troubles that could come upon us, are turned away all because of the Nanuim. Now the question is, it's only Shiare mitzvah? The mitzvah you already accomplished the first minute, you took it into your hand and just holding it further, and following these gesticulations, are they going to accomplish such tremendous achievements for you? Prosperity and protection? Could such a small insignificant act like waving the four minim in all different directions be effective in protecting against retribution? And the answer is a resounding yes because you're demonstrating what's in your mind. You're demonstrating a loyalty and affection for the mitzvah. By doing more than seems to be needed, you're demonstrating an especial love to Hashem and therefore you deserve an especial treatment By Hashem. Chazal says like this. Ezehu chassid. Who is called a chassid? hamis mish chassid im koinoy. Somebody who shows an especial devotion. An exceptional loyalty towards his creator. It means that the attitude of being attuned to the Ratzon Hashem. To what Hashem wants from us. Is called chassidus. The Mesil of gives a mashal. A son was walking with his father in the street and that father stopped for a moment to look into a window at a certain piece of merchandise that was on display. When they turned away and continued walking, the son said, Father, what were you looking at? Nothing, never mind, the father said. But the son makes note of that. Now, if the son is the kind of son who wants to please his father, he doesn't wait for his father to say, Son, buy me this, or I like this. He loves his father, so he comes back to the store later and he buys that object for him. The father didn't request it of him, but that's the sign of a truly devoted son. Whatever he thinks his father would like, he tries to do it voluntarily. Even if his father only evinces an interest, a small hint from his father is already enough for him. And so too, the shot him says, that when the Am Yisrael sees an indication in the Torah that Hashem approves of a certain practice, we're not satisfied by doing the minimum. We go all out and add to it. We don't wait to be told. Instead, we seek opportunities to fulfill the desire of our beloved Father in heaven. We seek to demonstrate our loyalty and our love as much as we can. The Jewish nation loves Hashem. And therefore, they're not interested in merely discharging their minimum obligation. They want to go all out because that's a sign of es Hashem elokecha. a man who loves Hashem doesn't stop. Everything he wants to do is for Hashem. And so he says, acharecha draw us near and we'll run after you. Shira shirim. Show us a little bit of what you want. And we won't stop. Now, if you pay attention, you'll see what an important principle this is in the lives of the Jewish people. It's the underlying theme of Judaism today. Because almost everything we do is not what we are commanded to do. What it really is, is an expression of loyalty and piety. And these next words may come as a great surprise to you. That it is all our own invention. The Jewish nation invented most of the Torah. According to the Torah, you can eat cheese and meat together. Don't tell anybody the secret. But according to the Torah, you can smear butter on cold meat and eat it. You can't cook it together. But to eat it cold, you could. You're astonished? Maybe I shouldn't have said it. But no. The Jewish nation punctuously observes that. Different sets of dishes. Now... Two sets of dishes is a very burdensome requirement, but the holy Jewish nation has done it from time immemorial because they accepted to go further than required. We're the Am Chassid, the nation that does Lifnim mishura men, women, and children all gather to hear the Megillah and Purim without fail. Which Orthodox Jew would miss hearing the Megillah? And not once, but twice. And yet it's only an obligation to... And what about Pesach? The dinam of Pesach, most of the chumras on Pesach are midirabonon. The Jewish nation has accepted that even a mashu of chametz, the smallest amount of chametz, which according to the Torah is batal barov or batal b'shishim, is forbidden. We won't even think about such a thing. The Jewish women are actually and nefesh for that. They give their lives to fulfill those laws. Now, those are only a few examples. It's a mushal for thousands, for hundreds of thousands of things. It's the system of the Amashem. If we look at our practices, we'll be surprised to see that most of what we Jews do in the fulfillment of the requirements of our faith is not written in the Torah. Not only is it not written in the Torah, it's not even required by the Torah Shabbal Peh. Almost everything that we do is an addition that our nation has voluntarily chosen to do. It's a remarkable fact. The entire coming to the Beis HaKinesis, the entire business of synagogue, is not a requirement of the Torah. There's no mitzvah from the Torah to make brachas, to pray Pesukei Zimra, even Shmona Esrei. And yet Jews all over the world assemble in Bate Kinesis, and they remain there a long time. People must go to work, and it's a big inconvenience. Sometimes they have to skip breakfast because of that. But they fit it into their daily program. And it's all a voluntary duty that our forefathers assumed for themselves. And that's the greatness of our people. Of course, it's no longer voluntary because our fathers and our mothers have accepted it. And once our nation accepted it, it's obligatory upon us. We'll go into fire and water to maintain what we begin to do. But we began it. That's how much we love our colors Boruchu. It's a remarkable picture we're seeing now of a pious nation that seeks to do more than what is expected of them. As you go through Shas, you'll see that's how it is. Page after page of Dinim Draborum. Yes, you'll find the Rises. Bava Kama, Bava Messiah, and Bava Vasra are almost do Doraisa. Whether it's Dinam of the Chumash, or whether it's Lama Likra varahi, they are all things that the Torah commands. But that's an exception to the rule. Most of Shas is drabbanons. It's almost all an addition made by the Jewish people. Our lives are drabbanon lives. If we were limited to the laws of the Torah, instead of Mesechta Shabbos being a big, heavy Mesechta, it would be a little volume, just a few Mishnayos and some pages of Gemara. Mesechta Iruvin is nothing but an addition that our nation made. Mesechta Iruvin is all Rabbanan. There isn't a single Deoraisa in Mesechta Iruvin. Iruvin is trimmings, an adornment for Mesechta Shabbos. If we would keep Shabbos according to the law of the Torah and nothing else, what kind of Shabbos would it be? We wouldn't eat three meals. We wouldn't put on Shabbos garments. Of course, there wouldn't be any Shachrits, Mincha, or Mariv either. There wouldn't be any Kriyasa Toida. We wouldn't even come to the synagogue. The truth is, according to the Torah, on Shabbos, there's nothing to do. You just get up Friday night and declare, it's Shabbos! And you're fulfilling the mitzvah of the Torah. You're Mechayim mentioning Shabbos. And you're finished. You don't need any wine, no special foods, or seudas. We would remain home. Or we would walk around in the fields. You can walk in your garden and pick up the stones and clean out your garden on Shabbos. All that would be is we would not do the 39 forms of work. But we would handle muxa. We would be playing musical instruments we would be doing very many things that Jews do not do on Shabbos. Shabbos would not look at all like what we consider to be Shabbos. It's remarkable what the Jewish people did to this concept of Shabbos. Of course, Hashem is the one who gave us the hint of how to do it. But we're the ones who did it. We are the ones who added and made the Shabbos so beautiful. Shabbos is a monument to the Chassidists of the nation that says, Mashkeni draw me near, give me a little pull, and we'll run after you. Hashem, show us a little bit of what you want, and we'll run. You want Shabbos? So we'll give you a Shabbos. Not just a Shabbos like you asked for, that we shouldn't make fire, that we shouldn't write or weave or build. No, that's not a Shabbos. We'll give you a Shabbos with all of the trimmings. You want us to declare it a day of Shabbos, so we'll do it on wine, and we'll do it twice. We'll do it by day as well. We'll give you a Shabbos with Shal Shudis and with Zmiris. We'll give you a Shabbos with Big Day Shabbos, a Shabbos with Muksa, a Shabbos with Kriya Satayra, and all of the other aportances that make it the most glorious day on the calendar. Yom Tov too? Almost all of Yom Tov is Hasidus. The Gemara tells us that when Yom Tov comes, it's a mitzvah to honor the festivals. And so we go all out. We put on big day Yom Tov and we prepare lavish suudas. We eat special foods and we imbibe special drinks. Look over the Yom Tov. The Jewish nation in exile has even added the second day of Yom Tov. The reformers are wise guys. They abolished the second day. Only the first day they wanted. Hashem says, run after me. And they get busy running in the other direction. Now they don't keep the first day either. But not only did we add on a day, we keep going. Because when Yom Tov comes to an end, it's all over. We're not required to do more than what Yom Tov is. You can even look through the window and count the stars that are visible to know when Yom Tov is finished. Why not? When night falls, it's all over. But here is a man who when Yom Tov is over, he's still thinking about it. Actually, it's the next day already and he has to go to work already. But this man at breakfast, before he sets out to go to work, he puts on his table a bottle of wine. He doesn't have time to drink much but he pours out a little thimbleful of wine at breakfast. He adds one more thing to his breakfast that he ordinarily would not eat. And he's doing it because of the Yom Tov that passed by. This man is adding to the Simchas of Yom Tov. Now you'll say it's foolish. It's a futile expression because after all, it's not Yom Tov. Last night was Havdallah. It's all over. Everybody is finished already with Yom Tov. They're dressed in their weekday garments. and They're all working now. The spirit of Yom Tov has departed. And this silly man is trying to do what was suitable only for yesterday. Oh no! He's not silly at all. It's Isru Chag! Anybody who makes an isruach, an addition to Yom Tov, by eating something and drinking something additional, the Torah considers it for him as if he built an altar to Hashem and he offered an offering. Gemara Sukkah. A korban? But it's the day after Yom Tov. It's all over. The Beit Samik, is empty. Everybody has gone home. No, you haven't gone home. You're still in the atmosphere of Yom Tov because you hate to part from Hashem. Don't think that your little breakfast celebration is considered a small thing. It's the great lesson that adding beyond what you were commanded to do is such an achievement that it's as if he has built a mezbeach and he has brought an offering to Hashem. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu accepts that devotion of a loving heart. Rabbeinu Yoyna in Share Truva quotes a statement of Chazal that will help elaborate our subject. Chavivin divrei Sofrim shel The words of the scribes, it means the obligations that the sages created for the Jewish people are more beloved even than the words of the Torah. Now, some people bristle when they hear that. The Dine de Rabbanon, the laws invented by the sages, are more prized than the words of HaKadosh Baruch himself. Isn't that a queer thing to say? But Rabbeinu Yoyna explains it as follows. He says that if someone sincerely loves the words of the Torah, then he'll create new safeguards, altogether new prohibitions, in order that he shouldn't come close to transgressing the words of the Torah. He says like this, it's like a king who planted an orchard of delicious fruit and beautiful flowers. So what did his loyal servants do? They made a fence around that garden so that no one should be able to trespass. Now the king didn't command them to make that fence. They did it on their own. And that's the greatness of the fence. It demonstrates their solicitude in protecting the garden. It demonstrates their interest in finding favor in the eyes of the king. And so we understand that when the sages of our nation built certain fences, certain prohibitions of their own, in order that the nation should be restrained from trespassing the laws of the Torah, that too was an expression of genuine love of HaKadosh Baruch And when the Jewish nation voluntarily accepted those fences, all the more so was it an expression of Av HaShem, After all, the sages weren't rulers. They didn't have power. Their power came from the people. And therefore, any decree that the Chachamim made was a decree of the people. And so when our forefathers accepted voluntarily to add to their obligations, it was a demonstration of love for the Torah. So much love that they want to be aware of anything that even in the most remote way might lead to a transgression. And that's a principle that the Jewish nation has followed collectively. It's a national system that the Am Yisrael has practiced from its inception. As soon as we became a nation, we understood that principle. And we carried it out. Asu la Torah. Make a fence around the Torah of us. Because if you have a fence, it will protect you from coming inside the garden and being enticed to eat the forbidden fruits. But it's not like some people think that it's a fence of thorns. In Shira Shirim, it says, Suga Bashashonim. The Amisral is fenced in with roses. They're not fenced in with thorns. Fences that cause us unhappiness. The Jewish nation delights in its Torah. It is proud of these fences. We enjoy the fences of flowers that keep us away from evil, from iniquity, from degradation, from perversion, from falling law, from moral decay. The Jewish nation has remained a pure people solely because they had fences of flowers. Sanhedrin, and the sages of the generations put up between them and between anything that was wrong, fences. So now we have a new kind of Torah, the Torah of Am Yisrael. Of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu approves of it. And now it's his Torah. But actually this Torah came from our nation. The Torah is going beyond the line of duty. Of course, we were ridiculed for that. We had many enemies just because of that loyalty that we demonstrate. First of all, we had the Tzedukim, the Sadducees, at the end of the Bayit sheini. The Tzedukim constantly showered us with their venom because we added things to the Torah. The Christians also ridiculed us because of that. The New Testament is full of barbs against the Chachamim for adding Chumrus to the Torah. It was an objection that was constantly raised by the Nazarene and his followers, that the sages were making difficulties that the Torah didn't require. What happened eventually? In the course of time, the Nazarenes threw away everything. They invented a theory that it's all obsolete. And there's a new covenant that did away with the old covenant. Not only the Chumrus of the Chachamim, but they disregarded all of the laws of the Torah. And the reformers did the same thing. The early ones said, Certainly you must be decent. Certainly you have to have good midas, Decency and morality. No question about it. Certainly you have to keep Shabbos. But so many chumras you don't need. We can take away muksa and some of the prayers, all the isure de and everything else like that. And just remain with the Isura de Eoraisa. But Shabbos, of course they kept Shabbos. So what happened to them? Eventually they came to America and even those who kept Saturday, you understand what it means that they're keeping Saturday? That's the shita of the Yetzir Hara. To yield little by little. The Gemara in Shabbos says, Kakh shel that's the way of the Yetzir Hara, The evil inclination says, certainly you have to be a decent Jew. Certainly you have to keep everything. Only that one thing here is not necessary. It's too much. Hayom Omer, lo asekh. Today he says, do this. A little thing. Umachar Omer, lo asekach. And the next day, a little more. Ubasof, and finally, Holech ve'oved avod This man goes and he finally ends up by being an idol worshiper. That's why you have today reformers who are To'eva people, reform rabbis who say openly that they practice mishkav zachar. You have today a Rabbi Susan who speaks at her temple and tells the congregants that she doesn't believe in God. Because after all, from the beginning, their rejection of the nitty-gritty, the small details, was actually a symptom of the rot in their neshamas. It was a lack of love of a Baruch the love that the Am Yisrael demonstrates dafka by means of being a nation of chasidim. Because when you understand that it's all a demonstration of love, that it's all chavivin divrei Saifrim, so there are no difficulties at all. And therefore, as much as our enemies ridiculed us and considered it one of our chief faults, that's our greatest virtue. We, Baruch Hashem, are still clinging to our fences and we're still clinging to the original laws that the fences protect The loyal people of Hashem don't want to give an inch. We love Hashem too much for such things. And we'll see now that it's a two-way street Hashem loves us back. He's loyal to us. I'll explain that. In the Torah, it states, "Yisah Hashem Panavelecha, that Hashem is going to be nice upon him. He's going to raise up his face towards the Am Yisroel. Now, the expression nice upon him needs explanation because after all, Hashem's face is towards everybody. He's looking at everyone all the time. So what does it mean he will lift his face towards us? It means he'll be partial to the Amisroil. He will favor us more than he favors anybody else. And this was fulfilled. He favored our nation, and that's why we are still around. There are no ancient people that maintain their existence until today. Everybody went down underground. The old Greeks are all underground. The old Aztecs, the old idolaters of the Norse land. Nobody remains. All of their culture is underground. Even the language is gone. They don't speak those languages anymore. And one day the great universe and the big impressive cathedrals will collapse too and go underground. They'll be buried by mounds of dirt, like all the great temples and palaces of Bavil. And who walks on top of them? The Jew is still above ground. Mark Twain once said that. It's interesting. Agoy said that. He said that the Jew walks on the graves of his oppressors. We are still here. There's only one people that persists unchanged. A nation with its culture, with its full integrity. A nation whose language of their sacred books, the words that they use in prayer, is the same language that David HaMelech spoke we say exactly the same words. We don't pray in English or in German. Exactly the same words that David HaMelech sang on his harp. We say every day, Tehillah the David, we're unchanged. Now such a thing couldn't happen by itself. It's a miracle. It's a special partiality that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is showing us to the exclusion of all others. And so, the question arises, if there is an impartial law of history that all nations finally must go under, what's the secret that Am Yisrael does not go under? What is it that gains for the Jewish people this partiality? The Gemara puts this question into the mouth of the Malachim. Amru Malachi Hashares. Lifnei HaKadosh Baruch The angels say to HaKadosh Baruch they have a big kasha. Didn't you yourself say in your Torah, Asher lo yisa panim, that you don't show partiality to anyone? So how could you say that Yisra Hashem that you'll be partial to the Am Yisroel? That's the question the Malachim put to Hashem. Why is it that for Yisroel, you make an exception, and you're Noisi Panim? Now listen to what Akalash who answers them. Lo Esalahim Panim liyisrael. Shouldn't I be partial to them? Of course I'm partial to them, because they're partial to me. How are they partial to me? Says Hashem. Look, I commanded them in the Torah. When you eat bread, and you're satiated, you must say Hamazon. It means that there are two conditions that obligate you in benching. First, it has to be bread. And number two, it has to be Lasova, eaten to satiation. Now along comes the Jewish people and they say, if that's the case, if we see what Hashem wants, why shouldn't we go all out in blessing Hashem? Just because we didn't fill ourselves up, we shouldn't thank him. And so they began to go through the whole business of Birkas Amazon, of thanking Hashem, even if it wasn't Lasova even if it was just a small amount of bread. And they didn't stop there. They said, why only bread? Potatoes and onions taste good too. We should thank him for that too. And why only after we eat? Once we're at it, once we're trying to show Hashem how much we love him and how much we want him to love us too, let's bless beforehand too. That's what the nation of Hasidim said. And that's how they instituted Masech Tabrochus. That's the whole Masekhta Brachas. It's all Chasidas. It's all the Am Yisrael going beyond the line of duty, except for the halachas of Kirith Shema. The Masekta Brachas is almost entirely obligations that the Am Yisrael added on because of their love of Hashem. And that's why we say that Maandabai le Mahave Chassidah. If someone wants to be an especially devoted servant of Hashem de He should fulfill the subject of brachas. Because that's what it is. A masechta of chasidus. And all of that, all of the additional things that we do, is a sign of what's doing in our hearts. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, You go out of your way to show your love for me. And that's why I'm going out of my way to show my love for you. I will be nice upon him to you. And you will be the only nation to survive through thick and thin. And so we see now the secret of our existence. Our secret is that we are extreme. We demonstrate our love of HaKadosh by going beyond what is required of us. The Am Yisrael learned the lesson of keeping far away, even from that little watch lying in the ashes of the Iranian Dachas. We learned how to turn back the Choron Af of Hashem that ravaged all the nations of the world by being a nation of extremists. The Am Yisrael developed its own genius in furthering the principles of the Torah along the lines of the Torah. In every aspect of their lives, national and private, they demonstrated their devotion to Hashem by means of Gazetas and Charkas. Every generation adds more chumrus to the previous generation because every generation sees the necessity more and more as the general atmosphere deteriorates. Even in the ancient times, when the Gentile world was still much more decent, the Jewish people forged ahead because of its love for Hashem. Now, what should we say today when today there is so much corruption in the air? Today, when we're more than ever surrounded by the wickedness of the Gentile world, how much more so do people today who are loyal to the Torah have to add chumrus upon chumrus? I once spoke to a chaver of mine, a litvak, a real litvak. He came to America and he put his daughter into Beis Rochel, the Satmar girl's school. I said to him, what's the matter? A litvaka like you is sending his daughter to Hasidah Shabbat Yaakov? So he said, the times are different today. And he gave a marshal. He said, it's like a man who is walking and there's a windstorm. He's afraid he'll be thrown over. So he bends over against the wind in order to maintain his balance. And therefore, in a time of stress, like today, when so many Jews are going lost, it's not enough for the good ones to be observant Orthodox Jews, even if they would be like their fathers or their grandparents, who were good people. It's not enough. Because there's a strong wind blowing. You have to bend over or else the strong winds are sure to make you swerve from the path. The winds will knock you down. And therefore, the small group of devoted ones have to become more devoted than ever. That's us. The Fruma today have to become even more devoted. Even things that our forefathers in Europe did not do, today in America, we have to do. You cannot congratulate yourself that you're just as good as they were in the 1930s or 1940s. You have to be more extreme than your fathers were. Otherwise, you can't survive. Things that we did then, and we were able to do with impunity, cannot be done today. It's a different atmosphere today. We have to add more and more, because we're being inundated with more and more filth. The more atheism and more materialism and more hefkeris and more letsonas and more chutzpah blowing in the streets, the more harhakas we have to make. Today, if a young man is marrying a young woman and he says, look, On one condition, no radio in our house. So she'll be somewhat surprised because her parents always had a radio. They didn't have a television. That much she understands. Television is a sewer that brings in all filth into your home. But a radio? But she shouldn't be surprised. Because today it's different. It's not the same radio as it once was. You won't have a clean mind if you have a radio in the home. The things you hear on the radio today are already outrageous things. You hear today on the radio things you wouldn't hear 30 years ago. And therefore, we shouldn't be afraid to speak up and say, No, we don't want it. We're different today. There's a greatness of character that cannot be demonstrated except by means of going beyond the line of duty. By behaving in a way that's more than the usual norm of decency. We aspire to a more noble, a more holy life by being more extreme to the side of righteousness. By means of that, each person on his own and the entire nation together find favor in the eyes of Hashem. And that's why we're going to exist forever and ever. Because we're going to follow this system forever and ever. Whatever the Am gave in their loyalty, they're getting back with interest. HaKadosh Baruch considers with the greatest love those people who go out of their way to demonstrate their loyalty to him. You think it's just for nothing that we're still around despite all the attempts that they made that we shouldn't be around anymore? And will continue to exist long after the great nations have disappeared. It's only because of one factor. Because we are loyal to him and we go out of our way to be sure that not even the smallest of the wickedness should stick to our hands. Therefore, the charon af of Hashem is turned away from us and he is merciful to us and he increases us. Re'eh. That's why we're still around and that's why we'll be around forever and ever.